I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. My guest today is an incredible young woman. Francesca Spector approached me to be a guest on her podcast, Alonement. And as soon as I understood the work that she does, I immediately said, the only way is if you become a guest on mine. So she is an internationally published author of the book Alonement, How to Be Alone and absolutely own it, which is a concept that I think many of us struggle with. We, especially under lockdown and all of the time that we spent alone uh, recently. Alonement truly is an uplifting and celebratory guide of embracing being alone in a positive way and understanding why it's very different from being lonely. Alonement is an uplifting and almost celebratory guide of embracing or to embracing being alone and understanding why it's very different from being lonely. It's been described as the joyous invitation to make your own declaration of independence. Francesca is also a freelance journalist who worked as the editor of the lifestyle section of Yahoo and then basically decided to go on her own and write long-form lifestyle features for The Telegraph, The Guardian, Red, and many other publications. I hope you will be interested in this very different view of what it's like to be alone today with uh, Francesca Spector. I received an email from Francesca inviting me on alonement. And I receive a lot of emails to speak on podcasts, but oh my God, I was like, I love that concept. Like, what is alonement? And then, of course, as you know, Google does to us, I stalked her, I found everything about her online. And I was like, that's amazing. Because you guys may know if you've been following my Instagram that I've been working on this little project that I call Half Monk for a while. And the whole idea of positive solitude, as Francesca calls it, is something that I totally adore. So I played hard to get and I wrote back to Francesca and I said, okay, I can go as a guest on Alonement if you come and be a guest on Slow Mo. Because honestly, this is a topic that is very dear to my heart. So she said, oh, okay, deal maker. And then here we are. So we agreed that we'll swap. I think this conversation with her here is going to be a lot more fun than the one that we will have uh, on her podcast because she seems to be the expert on the topic. So love having you. Thank you for saying yes. We will want your wisdom today because I think alone is the new thing now. So Francesca, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. And I must say I'm so incredibly humbled by what you say because you've somewhat that I've followed and admired for years, ever since your first podcast with Elizabeth Day. I absolutely adored everything that you say. I I adored how you were so honest as well as being such an expert. And I think that those two things can coexist. And it's something that definitely has inspired me in my career, being able to speak about things openly and from the heart and how much that can resonate 
And you do. With people, so thank you. you. You do, you do. I mean, before we started recording, I was telling Francesca that I know so much about her already. I know that she has salads for breakfast, which is <laughs> an idea that is invented by her mother. I know that she wears lenses. I actually know exactly what sight reading or whatever she uses. And I know so much about her. So you seem to be quite open as well. I mean, it's so refreshing when... Someone is so easygoing and open about their life and you seem to be sharing quite a lot. So share a little bit about you for people to know a little about you. So you're a journalist. Let's start from there. Yes. So I am a journalist by profession. That's, you know, before all of the alonement stuff, you know, I was a lifestyle journalist working in-house at a American tech company. At Yahoo. And... At Yahoo, yeah, just to give... She was the lifestyle editor at Yahoo. I know that too. I know everything. So. <laughs> yeah. You know everything. You are, you are all seeing, just despite the fact that we've bonded over our lack of actual eyesight, you were very insightful and very all seeing in many, many ways. But yes, so I was uh, a shout out to the uh, the world's leading search engine. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I really am speaking to someone from Google here. It's uh, formally yeah, we it's did so quite funny. something to Yahoo. Yes, so 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 you you were lifestyle editor, which is a very interesting. So lifestyle is what fashion, events, music, all of that. What is lifestyle in Yahoo? So lifestyle, I think it's one of those wonderful words that is so all-encompassing, no one really has to bother defining (laughs) it. So (laughs) it can mean many things to many people. The way that I like to define it is just looking at how we live life and what matters to us. And, you know, within that, things like fashion can come into it, things like wellness can come into it, but it really is that business of what we do when we're not working. And I ask because it's quite interesting, because normally a lot of lifestyle editing, if you want, is going to be talking about events and parties and going out and fashion and and things you can do outside work and so on. And we're going to end up with spending time alone, which I think is a very almost opposite, if you want, of what people expect. But, But I want to come back to that. Let's continue the introduction. You also worked for very large newspapers. You know, you were on The Guardian and on others and so on. Mm, yes. And I started my career, bizarrely, at Vogue, given that okay. <laughs> uh, now I would not say I'm a fashionista at all. I actually uh, ask friends' advice when getting dressed. So it's, uh, <laughs> I think, uh, I think my, the start to my career at Vogue was a very interesting uh, decision. But actually, I realized what motivated me. And this is why I like that lifestyle can be such a vague area um, and such an all-encompassing area, is that I was very interested in relationships, conversations, you know, effectively how we make our choices in life. And that never really fell under the remit of journalism specifically. And it didn't really, it didn't really seem something that could factor into a job, which is why (laughs) I find self-employment so liberating in that respect. But when I was exploring alonement and alone time to begin with. That was very much something that ran alongside my last year at Yahoo. And that was never something that I expected to merge into a career. It was just a personal journey. It was something that existed in the space of, I think, my journal and what turned into a 20-page Google Doc of random thoughts and notes. And 
just really a space for myself. And it was almost only through then going and writing about other areas of lifestyle every day and things like the the self-care movement, which has become a bit of a cliche. And, you know, things like mindfulness, things, you know, really wonderful practices that people do. When I realized that actually alonement, spending time alone positively, there was a commonality between all the things that I wrote about every day and alone time. And then I realized that actually the thing that I most wanted to be writing about was what I saw as the thing that could facilitate all of this, facilitate living the best possible lifestyle. But isn't it unusual to talk about, I mean, being alone, I mean, alone is normally associated with lonely, which is like the last thing we want, right? So people avoid that feeling like the plague to feel lonely. So you're saying, no, no, alone doesn't have to be lonely. Can you explain that at the top level? What is lonely and what is alonement? Yeah, and I think that this is why alone month was such a big personal journey even to begin with, because I never, I never thought that there could be a distinction between being alone and lonely. I spent most of my life as an extrovert who was always looking for ways to spend time oh, with other that's people. That's interesting. So you are extroverted by nature. You want to be out there. You want to be with people. Completely. And I still am. Now that the world's opening up a little bit more, I'm really enjoying going to larger gatherings of more than six people, as it is here in the UK, and, uh, and being able to have that. But the perspective that I got to realise was that in order to enjoy alone time, it wasn't just something, the reserve of introverts. It wasn't just for people who would sort of come to this quite naturally and say, yeah, duh, alone time, that's how I energize. It could actually be something that could be learned as an extrovert. And beyond that, learning it was a really useful skill that underpinned, again, as a, you know, all the best parts of lifestyle, all the best parts of living a good and nourishing lifestyle. This is so eye-opening. This is why my jaw dropped when I read your email, because I'm the ultimate introvert. I know it doesn't come across at all, right? But if you leave me, I will spend the rest of my life literally alone. This is how much I love being alone. But I learned, of course, because of a business career, of course, because this is what business school teaches you, of course, because of my work on happiness and having to be out there and giving public speeches and talking to people on social media all the time, I learned the skill of being sort of extroverted, if you want, you know, how to be out there and still find your energy and deal with people and even enjoy it tremendously, because now I truly enjoy being with people, but it wasn't my nature at all. The thing is, this seems to be normal in the modern world, that introverts need to be extrovert, need to learn the skill. But this is the first time I actually hear the opposite, which is, hey, by the way, even if you're extroverted, you need to learn the skill of being alone. You need to learn the skill. Why would anyone want that? I mean, there is benefit in being out there in the world and extroverted. So it seems to be a skill that is useful. Why would I want to learn the skill of being alone? So... I think what we don't appreciate, we do appreciate extroversion in a business context, for instance, as you're alluding to, and it can be very useful in those contexts, but actually we don't appreciate how much you lose 
if you're not able to spend time alone and talking about underpinning things like I don't know doing doing yoga or making yourself a nice meal or being single even in a broader way being alone or having the ability to spend time alone and it not be lonely and it not be a waste of time those experiences in little and large ways can be so enriched by the ability to sit with yourself and I had the privilege of growing up among a couple of introverts in my family so my mother is like yourself she really does like spending time alone and that is quite enriching for her but what was interesting is that I would watch her do all these great things with her alone time. For instance, she is a very accomplished dressmaker and she loves gardening and she is, of course, the uh, the pioneer of breakfast salads, which, <laughs> which we've mentioned in the intro. She does all these wonderful things that are so unique and have all the sort of authenticity that we're all searching for on social media, but she does them for herself. And the reason that she does them is because she's able to spend time alone. And so I think that we need to focus in on how much all these things that we're striving for, even on social media, even in this very distracted 21st century world, are underpinned by that ability. And from then on, we need to say, well, okay, extroversion is great. There's a reason that social skills are taught in primary school. There's a reason that networking is encouraged in a workplace but so is solitude. And let's see how we can be a bit more like introverts, or even if we are introverted, let's see how we can lean into the positive parts of that and, and not feel ashamed of it. I'm with you 100%. I think the not just the joy of it, which I believe grows on you, even if you're extroverted after a while, if you turn your alone time into a positive experience, it starts to grow on you. But I have to say, it's probably my most productive time. So people may, of course, you know, you get inspired by being with other people who share ideas and thoughts and observe how they react and how they behave. And all of that is very inspiring. But an hour of silence sometimes comes with brilliance. Like you don't feel like you're doing anything, but you just sit there. And then after an hour, your brain goes like, hey, how about this idea? And I go like, man, where did that come from, right? And that idea of reflection and inspiration, I don't know. I mean, I normally talk to my wonderful daughter about this, that everyone who's ever done anything amazing in life went through a journey of, alone time, you know, whether it's Buddha or Prophet Muhammad or Moses going through the desert or, you know, many, many, many successful business people that actually take time away to come back with inspiration. And I think to me, this is probably one of the most productive experiences a human being can ever have. I'm really curious, a little earlier when you talked about uh, being an introvert and being able to, left to your own devices, you could spend a loss of your life alone. Do you not find it when those ideas come? For instance, I do I do agree with you, I think, and this is something I do talk about in my book as well, that alone time can be profoundly great for the feeling of flow when you're fully immersed in something. And I think that the best ideas have to be pursued in solitude. But where do you think that other people come in terms of when you get that brilliant idea, then being able to sort of I guess, bounce it off them and, and evolve that idea 
with the presence of another. I think like you, you sort of come from being naturally extroverted to wanting a balance of introvertism. Is that the right word? So you, you want to complement that inspiration and connection that you get from the outside with your introverted alone time, if you want. I'm the opposite. So even though my preference would be to spend most of my time alone, it's just so enriching for me, the reflection, the meditation, the calmness, the discovery, the learning. I love those activities. I, you know, I have to say I adore human beings, but imagine if I took away the time that I spend with human beings and put that in learning. I make that joke, but it's actually true. I, as an engineer, I, I measure everything sadly, but I remember vividly a girlfriend of mine where, you know, we spent 18 months together. And then when we ended up separating lovingly, I counted the WhatsApps between us and they amounted to 2.4 of my normal books. So, you know, so the, the number of texts going back and forth, in my mind, this is, yeah, it's wonderful and enjoyable. And she was a wonderful human being in my life and still is, but it's the question of what do I want to do with my life? So I find that I want to start my life from within and then, you know, reflect that outside. It's not that like, like the world is not, the world is not lacking in asking me to be out there. So I want to, I want to prefer the time in and then reflect, go and compliment that outside while other people like, you know, a typical extrovert like yourself would want to start from outside and then protect themselves and find the time in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that, and that is something that, as I say, I've almost gone against my natural instincts or at least tried to complement them with a healthy dose of sort of I, I don't know let's call it fake introversion I don't know <laughs> whatever I'm trying to practice here but it's so interesting how you talk about counting up those whatsapp messages firstly that's the first time I've ever heard anyone doing that but it's it's so true I think it's, I, do, I don't count them I don't count them don't, don't think of me as a freak so you know whatsapp backs up your messages <laughs> on I think google drive or something like that and when I looked at the backup it was, you know, something like 400 pages long. But that's incredible. Yeah. When you really think about it, sometimes we don't realize how much of our life is spent in activities that are just not what we want to do with our life. Sometimes there are other more important things. But what made you force yourself? So when you say, you know, you had to put yourself into a, an initial phase of fake introvertism to be alone, why would anyone do that? You're out there and you're celebrating. Was it the lockdown or anything else? <laughs> yeah, it's a worthy question. No, I was um, seriously earlier a doctor when it comes to uh, comes to lockdown in that I, so it was uh, January 2019. So long, long before any of any of this pandemic business, I, uh, I'd been through a breakup the previous November with a fellow extrovert who loved being sort of codependent constantly together just as much as I did. So that was a, a match made in heaven or a match made in hell, whatever your vantage point is. So I got out of this relationship and breakups are tough. And the first couple of months, I did what I would always have done after a breakup. I surrounded myself by people. I was always out. I was, as we mentioned earlier, I was working at Yahoo, which the really wonderful thing about big tech companies, especially back then, was that there were many, many occasions to network, to socialize, you know, free drinks every Thursday. So I was always there. But I realized that actually I was sort of 
burnt out in a social sense. And more than that, I'd just been through something that was quite significant, which was a serious breakup in my late 20s. And rather than process, okay, what what's this taught me? Where do I want my life to go? What can I gain from this effectively? I was deadening all those thoughts by surrounding myself with other people. So it was really just a plan B. In the January, I got to the start of the year and I thought, okay, what would be different? What could I change to try and make the situation better or feel like I have more control? And I thought, okay, why not confront my biggest fear, which was time alone? And that ended up being radical. It's very profound when you, when you think about it, really. So you went through a breakup and you found that you, uh, you needed the time to reflect instead of drowning yourself out there to stop thinking about things. Yeah, well, that's, that was where I began. And it was, you know, it's funny because we talk about New Year's resolutions. And I always want, you know, I always want to say to people, okay, this New Year's resolution was the thing that changed my life. I'm not the poster girl for New Year's resolutions. I've never kept any other one, whether that's a small thing or a big thing. But the reason, the reason that this became so important was because it was self-perpetuating. So, you know, it started in a really small way. It started with nothing more radical than turning my phone off for a couple of hours. Because, of course, you know, virtually alone or alone in a sort of digital sense is just as important sometimes as alone physically. So I started doing that and I started going back to something I'd done on and off all of my life, which was journaling. And that was my little space to be alone. And then as you know, as I as I mentioned earlier as well, I had my Google Doc where I'd sort of, you know, write I didn't know why I was writing in a Google Doc as well. I realized it ended up being the rudiments of my book, but I would just write thoughts in a different way sort of during the day. And then my journal would be my sort of more maybe emotional, honest space with myself. And then the Google Doc ended up being more the thoughts around what I was doing, almost like a reflective look at this process. So turning my phone off, journaling, those were the baby steps I began with. And they just ended up being quite, quite pivotal, actually. I would find that even conversations I'd have with people, my thoughts would seem to be more accurate. What they said seems to be more of an accurate reflection of how I felt because I'd had a time to mull it over. I actually ended up filtering into my relationships with other people quite early on, which as an extrovert, that was quite a quite an easy way to sell introverted behavior to me because I thought, well, if it benefits my relationships, mm. then that's really that's really interesting to begin with. What else might it benefit? So I love that idea. So basically what you're saying is that your relationships benefit when you spend time alone. And that's because when you're alone, you are actually reflecting on those relationships. You're taking notes, you're journaling, you're writing thoughts, right? And that basically allows you the time to clarify things. Have you ended up saying, for example, at that time that there were certain relationships that were not useful for you? Did you change your relationship style? Did you change friends? 
anything that came out of that that was drastic, radical? Hmm. It's funny. So as much as I had to learn certain things in life, like to be alone, the benefit, I suppose, of being an extrovert and someone who likes to think, likes to have deep discussions, was that I think I always did have pretty good friendships. So actually, interestingly, no, all, all apart from obviously my relationship that my romantic relationship that had broken down, I actually kept close to the quite small group of people that I'd always had those really, really strong relationships with. I just think they got even better. Even, for instance, my relationship with my parents. I think that, I've, you know, I've got really wonderful parents. I've never felt like they've imposed the sort of traditional marriage and kids ideals on me, you know, especially at a time when most of my friends are sort of navigating that same thing. But I think being able to have a sense of who I was that I created in my journal at the stage of my life where the marriage and kids question starts cropping up, it allows me to actually say to my parents, okay, this is what I'm doing at the moment. This is how I'm thinking. And actually be proactive rather than maybe reactive to what I thought society might want from me. So, you know, that's just one example, but it really did allow me to not just live life on my own terms, but be able to explain that purpose and value system to the people that were most important in my life, which actually enriched us. That's incredible. Would you associate alonement with being single as well? Is that a choice that one can make sometimes and saying, look, I want to be alone. I don't want to have anyone in my life. Hmm. So the best way of explaining that, I think, so alonement, I remember when it was about eight months into me doing alonement in the sort of, you know, private sphere of my journal and my Google Doc. And um, I remember having a conversation with a couple of close friends about it, again, having really firmed the concept up in my own mind. And the more I talked about it, the more a close friend of mine who is in a relationship, she's getting married this year, she's been in a relationship for a decade. She said to me, well, Ches, alonement, uh, Ches is what my friends call me, my nickname. Ches, alonement is, alonement is something that actually I do as well. And I'm in a relationship. And it allowed me to think, look, this isn't just a personal journey. This isn't just something that's quite handy and empowering just because I'm at this very small stage of my life. I kind of thought at that point, what if alonement, alone time was something that we could practice and work on and benefit us at any life stage, at any relationship status, at any age. And that's the thing that made it a universal concept rather than something that was just restricted to a personal journey. However, the thing I will say in terms of being single and alone months, because I, you know, I have chapters in my book which talk about both being single and practicing it and being in a relationship and practicing it. The thing about being single is that it's almost a Petri dish, I think, because you don't have to, you don't have to negotiate alone time with anyone. So it, it comes almost as a default quite often. And so it allows you to explore it quite a lot. So I, you know, I always say to people, alonement is something that's really great to introduce into romantic relationships or friendship relationships or any sort of relationship. But actually, if you're single, then that might not last forever. And that's 
that's a warning. You know, that's, you know, make the best of this time, not just make the best of it, in fact, but notice how you can thrive in it. See it as a really big opportunity for alonement. It is a struggle, though. I mean, I'm supposed to be like a, a wise person. You know, I struggle with the idea of carving out alone time when I'm in a relationship. It's actually really difficult. One of the reasons why I've chosen to be more single recently in my life is that, is that the 2.4 books to me is, is not the result of anything wrong on my partner's side. It's much more on me not being able to carve out the time and say, hey, I'm not available now. I'm not, I don't want to spend time on WhatsApp. I'd rather spend time on Google Docs writing a book. And how do you push back? Because I'm sure your friends sort of started to say, what's wrong with you? I mean, had it not been for lockdown where everyone was hiding away, I think the year before lockdown, uh, where you were spending alone time, most of your friends will push back and say, no, no, come out. You shouldn't be doing this. Oh, yes. I mean, it was such a strange thing and a couple of my friends since that period have shared with me that they thought that I was going through depression or some equivalent mental health issue that would cause you to be sort of introverted lonely alienated in a negative sense whereas actually I was going through probably one of the most fulfilling times of my life or at least transformative but of course you know that I'm not surprised that that's what they thought given how I was for most of my life and also how alone time is perceived and you know I think I'm <laughs> it's quite handy let me put it that way it's quite handy having both written the book hosted the podcast and trademarked the words alonement because it's given me the language to describe to other people what it means and I'm still you know and increasingly so probably I need a, a little bit of more of a sort of alone time of my life a few months but you know after after that and going forward now that we're sort of poking our heads out into the world again I'm almost just as sociable it's just that my alone time is something that is more fulfilling in private I think the question of balancing it in a relationship though I I, I completely sympathize with what you're saying and in to an extent that's actually what I'm navigating as well for for the chapter of my book that I wrote about balancing alonement in a relationship the wonderful thing is that I got to speak to lots and lots of couples and ask very nosy questions about their relationship and how they do alonement but lots of them actually you you wouldn't be surprised lots of them were sort of fierce advocates of alonement and, and alone time because it had to be more of a proactive thought out thing and sometimes it I, I almost think sometimes it can motivate you because you think well you know I only have I don't know one night off or one night when my partner's out per week let's make the most of it let's make that alonement rather than being in a stage where perhaps if you're single and you're not happy with it every night in feels like a wasted opportunity to meet people you know you, you actually you're able to value it more so in a way I think that the people I've spoken to in relationships, they understand the concept and actually they grasp it a bit better sometimes than people who are unhappily single. But then the challenge, I suppose, is, is when you're someone like you and I, who really have a significant period of their lives, learns to really enjoy that 
alone time, then coming back and working out a relationship where alonement can be a value. And I think it, it takes a lot of perhaps difficult conversations. And sometimes it seems so hard to have those conversations that it's easy to say, no, this isn't, this isn't possible or this would be very, very difficult. I think it's aspirational. I'll put it that way. And I think that I hope that at least having the language around it, at least being able to say alonement is one of the paving stones to being able to get that ideal balance. Yeah, I interviewed here on Slow Mo. I, I hosted my dear friend, uh, Matthew Ricard, who's one of the most uh, renowned monks in the world. And I, and I asked and I said, Matthew, do you, do you have to, to find that kind of path to enlightenment? Do you really have to give up on relationships? And his response was really very eye-opening. He was like, look, I needed alone time. I needed time with my teachers. And it wouldn't have been fair to a family, a wife, kids, and so on, for me to be away for six, eight months of the year. And when you think about it, this was basically the extreme negotiation of, look, I really need the majority of my time to be alone. And Matthew was known actually in his monk career, if you want, to spend sometimes three to four years in solitude. And uh, it's the extreme form of negotiating a long time. I don't think relationships have to go that far, though. It could be a balance of, say, half of the week together, half of the week not. Even if you're living together, it could be, you know, certain hours of the day where you have certain rituals that require you to be alone. Do you, do you think that's possible at all? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's funny, actually, and maybe people would be surprised to hear me say this, but I, as an extrovert, as the, the way that my brain is wired, I'm fascinated by the idea of, you know, for instance, the monk lifestyle, you know, choosing to spend a lot of time alone or, or quiet in silence. I still despite what I do for a living, despite what, I, you know, what I've been talking about for the last two and a half years now, I still don't understand how personally I could have that amount of solitude. And I know that we're all wired differently. But the thing is, for me, and I guess this is the vantage point that I come to it with, alonement has always been about moderation and almost capitalising on the small amounts of time that you can get of alone time and, and making that work for you. Now, I know anecdotally, you know, I've spoken to parents on the podcast of young children who've said to me, look, I don't get even five, 10 minutes. This is almost impossible. But I do think most people can have that level. And that's more what I'm talking about when I discuss having it in a relationship. And I think that's it. I think that we, we see these things. It's interesting that you know, quite often we will see these things as black and white, that relationship equals constant togetherness, single equals constant aloneness or constant getting to choose and do what you want. Um, you know, because most of us, well, you know, I have absolute, as I say, admiration, curiosity for the notion of spending lots of time in solitude and wanting to do that. And that being the thing that underpins a very profound life or a very profound sort of creative output or, you know, whatever it might be. I think that most people, if you draw a line of best fit, probably would actually just benefit from, you know, a day or two or the odd dinner by themselves or the odd, you know, a holiday once a year for a couple of days by themselves or, you know, 10 minutes, an hour. 
those are the moderate bits of alonement that I think can be negotiated within a relationship once you come to a mutual understanding. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's not a challenge and it's not a constant challenge, because it is. But in the same way that we say to our partner, okay, I'd like to have quality time together, I'd like to have a date night, wouldn't it be nice that we could live life or live our relationships on terms where we could say, I'd like to have an alonement night tonight and that not be an affront, that actually be something that underpins the relationship and, and gives back to it. Yeah, I, I think the game here is to be able to say, and that doesn't say anything negative about our relationship. It doesn't say that I don't like being with you. It doesn't say that time with you is tax on me or whatever. It just says I need time alone. It's something that I need for myself. And, and I find it really interesting because if I'm on a business call, for example, my partner will understand that I am on a business call. And if I'm on business calls for six hours a day, they'll give me that alone time if you want time without them. In relationships, sometimes it's basically, but the rest of your time, oh, that's mine. Yeah. And I find that to be, yeah, I mean, very unrealistic because maybe then the conversation becomes, hey, by the way, I have three business calls today. I have one reflection session with myself and I have a couple of hours of writing. And these are all important things to me, just as the business call is. And couples should be able to have those conversations. I think it's, uh, it's very healthy for the relationship itself. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so interesting that you say that. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I'd be so curious to know the amount of people who, even during the pandemic, you know, said, oh, I have a work call and really just wanted to shut themselves in a room and have, as you say, you know, reflective time, writing time, whatever it does that relaxes them. And that's the thing. I think alonement needs to be almost like self-justifying as a phrase. But, you know, it, it is, it reminds me, so a study that I looked at in my book, it actually relates to doing things alone in public and the way that that's perceived. But bear with me here. So when, when we're out in public, we feel that we're able to sort of go to the supermarket or go to the gym. And we're, we feel that we can do those things and we're not seen as a total you know, loser for being by ourselves. Like we, we don't feel judged. Whereas actually going out to, for instance, the, the theatre by ourselves or being seen alone in a restaurant, we hold much more inhibitions around that. This comes from a study that was done a few years ago called Bowling Alone, which was a big survey where they looked at people's perceptions around alone time. Now, the reason I think it comes into this is I think that's, I think it's quite similar with what you're saying about how you feel that saying, okay, I'm on a work because that's utilitarian. That's something that, you know, you sort of have to do. Well, not alone, but you, you know, you have to do by yourself. You have to have, you know, shut away in a room for, but the idea that something that would be seem more indulgent, like reflective time, isn't self-justifying in an alone way. The, this question being asked, why are you doing that alone? And, you know, I think it does, it does just come down to our perceptions, our perceptions that actually reflecting with a partner, having an interesting conversation, that can be very enriching, but reflecting by yourself is, you know, it's, as you say, you know, you said it's a need, it, it is a need. And I think it's a need for everyone if we acknowledge it. Um, and it's just, it's being able to say that in and of itself, because really it just creates a whole, I think, you know, for instance, in the scenario that you're saying, it would create a better level of honesty around what you're actually doing. My other favorite one is on holiday. And I, you know, this is the only situation where I, you know, I, I still live alone, where I'm actually around people quite a lot. 
on holiday, you always find that people either really want to go and get the, you know, get the pastries from the supermarkets in the morning, or they really want to go for a run. But actually, <laughs> I think that that's people advocating their alone time <laughs> without being able to necessarily say why. Yeah, my uh, work partner in the last year or so had some personal challenges and, you know, we work together on certain things and, you know, he's doing amazing now. But basically when it was done, when the challenges were at least mostly behind him, he would start to walk and he would really walk like Forrest Gump kind of walk, 20 kilometers a day, 25 kilometers a day. And, you know, I started to take up that habit and it's amazing. Like you literally have to leave everything behind. Huh? I don't do 25 kilometers. I mean, if you do 10, 12 kilometers, that's two, three hours a day. And, you know, it is an amazing way of being alone in public and also not feeling judged at all. It's just listening to some music or enjoying nature or going, you know, it's basically the, the city hike, if you want. And I think it's an incredible way of doing it. Tell me, I know this might sound sensitive, but... Don't you find it more difficult as a woman to be having alone time in public? I have to say, as a man, if I sit in a cafe alone and I'm, you know, reflecting or listening to music or writing, normally this is seen as, oh, he's busy. As a woman, do you feel that people would judge you for it? They will think you're lonely? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's... I think I do have some perception of it. For instance, you know, if I'm going out for dinner alone, one of my one of my rules around that is look, I'm going to try and look nice, not in a sort of please approach me way because that's not what I want from people, but it's more I want to look nice for myself. I want to have a sense of self-esteem around that because I know that for most of my life and I know that many many people in society will believe yes, if you're by yourself then that's a sort of that's a fallback option and you know it might impose on how you feel about yourself it's you know it's, it's a situation which can be a challenge to your confidence and your self-esteem so it's actually quite important to me to go and be able to assert myself in that way and even even when I walk into a restaurant another rule that I have is I'm not allowed to say a table just for one please I have to say oh you know a table for one please you know it's a it's a small difference but by not belittling myself as I walk apologizing in, for it yeah yeah apologizing for it completely you know I think that actually we can we can change perceptions we and, and your part of my mission with alonement is is to be able to sort of rewire the way that we see people alone specifically women alone in an empowered way and I, you know I think that there are things like for instance the this is different from being alone, as we've talked about. But, you know, the single positivity movement, you know, is saying, look, single, being single as a woman doesn't have to be a fallback option, a, a bad thing. It can be an empowered decision. And I think with alonement, I can hopefully show that that can be an empowered decision for people and women specifically themselves. For instance, I had, um, I had Felicity Cloak, a food writer on the podcast a little while ago, and she told me, oh, no, I, I love being alone in restaurants. I feel like this sort of exciting, mysterious person. And, you know, even hearing someone reframe it on the podcast, even for people listening to the episode, sort of getting to know Felicity, who is a, 
you know, very exciting, aspirational, cool person. And seeing that she can do it, you know, you can't be what you can't see. But once you see examples, once you see another way that being alone can be, then, you know, you might feel either able to go out and do it yourself, or you may feel that you have a different perception of that person in the restaurant. And it can, you know, it can very, you know, in very small ways, but, you know, over time, create a whole cultural movement, you know, create a whole reshaping. And, you know, and this, and this isn't beyond the realms of possibility. I think in, you know, in somewhere like South Korea, where actually alonement's been published there as well, being alone is seen as a more aspirational thing. You know, there isn't, it's not like internationally there aren't other ways to see it. And it's not like it is beyond the realms of our imagination. It's just really being able to A, represent ourselves and B, see it in other people. I mean, I'm curious, do you, as someone who's always instinctively understood being an introvert and that's come naturally to you, do you feel like you have inhibitions around being alone in public still? I absolutely love it. I mean, growing up, everyone knows I love coffee. I, when I used to go visit my mom in Egypt, uh, there was this cafe near my mom and I would go out in the morning and have some, you know, a good coffee and some time to write my notes and organize my thinking. And there was this old man, maybe in his late 60s, early 70s, always at 10 a.m. who would show up in that very well-dressed suit with a tie, regardless of what day of the week it is, and sit in the corner, order his exact same coffee and have his newspaper with him. He was my idol. I was like, this was my lifetime dream. I was waiting for the moment where I, you know, life obligations are less for me so that I can wake up every morning exactly at the same time, dress up nicely, of course, no tie for me, and just go and spend time doing some ritual of some sort. I also, being a writer, spend a lot of hours, a lot of hours sitting alone. I normally go to very unexciting cafes, so not the ones that will have loud music or a lot of action or not even an amazing view, a comforting view, but nothing to catch my attention. And I would sit there for hours at a time. Yesterday I had four and a half hours of writing, just sitting literally at the same table, ordering a tea or a coffee every now and then, and you know, having a, a wonderful state of stream of flow, if you want, which is really, really enjoyable for me. And of course, you know, I'm now in Amsterdam and Soul for Happy was reasonably successful in Amsterdam. And so every now and then someone will stop by and say hi, which is amazing and I love it. But, you know, it's the objective is to be out there alone. And I, and I enjoy that very much. Mm, I love that. And I love, I love thinking about sort of alonement icons or, you know, alone, <laughs> like I, I think that that's it. Because you know, again, you can't be what you can't see. And, you know, for, for you, you know, that older man that you're watching who was, you know, very well dressed and again, having that sort of sense of absolute dignity and pride in what he was doing, that was someone that you saw and that that empowered you to actually see it as something that's aspirational and something that you wanted to do and totally yeah and and now you know and now people will see you by yourself and think wow well you know Mo does that and Mo's done all these amazing things so that's wow that really you know those two things sort of go together and what could I get from being alone we spoke about this briefly but my target is 50 50 so you say one or two days a week I think I think my target balance is 50-50, 50% fully engaged in life and 50% reflective and 
productive in an introverted way, if you want. I don't want to spoil the book for everyone. I think people should read the book. But do you, do you want to tell us your top tips? If people see the benefit and want to have, remember, alonement is about having a positive experience alone, right? So what are your top tips for having a positive experience alone? So to begin with, I think that the absolute foundation is be learning to be with your own thoughts and that not be a terrible experience. And, you know, that is, that's a constant battle for us all, but it's getting a toolkit. So, you know, for me, my toolkit is predominantly journaling. That's how I sit with myself. If I've got something a bit uncomfortable in my day-to-day life that I feel like I need to deal with, then coming to journaling is really important because otherwise... I'll find myself even now avoiding time alone if I haven't journaled for a couple of days. So I think that being able to do that is non-negotiable. And you can do this in, a, in other ways as well. Some people like to do it through long walks like you alluded to earlier. Like doing that can be a really wonderful way to sit with and process emotions or sort of, you know, any sort of mindfulness, uh, whether that's a meditation app or, you know, something as simple as sitting and chopping vegetables and being able to sort of be with yourself that way. You know, lots of different ways of doing that. But I think making that a value is quite important. And that's certainly how I started. And then beyond that, you know, we alluded to rituals earlier with sort of alone months. I think, you know, setting aside, even if it's just an hour a week, even if it's just first thing on a Saturday morning, when maybe your you know your partner's still sleeping or or you don't usually have social plans, going out for a run or you know taking yourself out for breakfast or even if you don't feel able to do that quite yet, making yourself a really nice breakfast home and saying to yourself that's your time for you and reading or doing something creative whatever appeals setting aside that time for a ritual and then I think beyond that you know let's think about how we spend quality time with other people. And apply that to quality time with ourselves. So putting it in the calendar, putting you know a framework around it, planning ahead what we're going to do. Even if that's you know I'm going to watch a movie I've been looking forward to, or I'm going to do you know a Zoom life drawing class, which is something I've really been enjoying doing lately. Whatever it is you like to do by yourself, and you know so having that in and making that a priority alongside your time with others. You know maybe even in that fifty-fifty way, or maybe in a much smaller way to start off with, it's a really good sort of gateway drug to alonement being a really big value in your life. And beyond that, then things like solo travel or, you know, going to places alone, going for dinner alone, going to the cinema alone, all of those sort of bigger, scarier things, if you're new to this, they sort of come naturally because it becomes so self-perpetuating and you become intrigued and you think, okay, I've learned to have fun by myself in a little way, it's benefited me in this little way, what bigger, bolder steps can I take from there? And do you believe that, you know, there are fun activities that one can do? So when you're saying going to the cinema alone, going to the theater alone, are there, these are things that we normally do with others, but now do them alone. Are there things that are even better when done alone? I... I think, you know, in terms of things being better, there are, you know, there are some things, for instance, that are almost non-negotiable. You know, we're both both writers, for instance. I think, you know, doing the actual work, being in flow, that almost is non-negotiable because obviously, you know, if someone's distracting you when you're in that process, then that's not going to be very useful. You might develop 
your ideas or evolve your existing ideas with other people. But of course, solitude is quite necessary. But then I think that there are lots of experiences that you can enjoy in totally different ways, whether you're with someone or without them. And it's not like one is superior to the other. For instance, you know, actually, I think the cinema is a good example. And let me talk you through how I do this on a weekly basis. So I've got a cinema subscription to Everyman, which is a, you know, a franchise of cinemas in the UK. And every Monday, I book a ticket to go and see a film. And the thing is, as a member, I can take a free guest. So on that Monday, I know that, you know, I would love to see the film and I know that I can very much be sort of mindfully engaged with it and, you know, possibly more there with the art itself if I go by myself. But I always ask maybe one or two friends, you know, sort of on a casual basis, you know, would you like to come along and be my guest? And I tend to ask the friends who I think would most enjoy that particular movie. And if they say no, I get to go and enjoy it in a particular way. And I'm looking forward to that experience. You know, I love the cinema by myself. It's a very immersive atmosphere, which actually is quite conducive to being alone. But, you know, if they like to come, then I think, well, it would be so nice to discuss it afterwards. I'm sure that, you know, that movie experience will be so you know, enriched or, you know, I'll get a different perspective from being there with someone. But both are valid and both means I get to go to the cinema on a Monday night. So it's quite, it's quite empowering. I love that. Cinema is still open and I thought they, they shut them down a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, they're back open in the UK, which is wonderful to be going back. So people have nothing to complain about anymore. As long as there are cinemas, I think the world is okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see how actually. I used to have in my spoiled times when I was living like a rich person, I had this beautiful, beautiful extra room, which I lined with black everywhere, like black curtains, black carpeting. It was super quiet and dark, and I had a, a nice little projector there. And alone time there was just incredible. You can spend two hours just with a beautiful movie. You can really, really get yourself immersed in it. Nobody pushes their hand over to take some of your popcorn. There's actually no popcorn to start. And it's just so much more enjoyable. Well, I, I have to say, I love what you're advocating, but of course it comes natural to me. I, I would ask people to consider the idea that there is so much value and so much to be gained if we balance our life so that not all of it is out there and some of it is positively alone, alonement, as we now learned. And uh, yeah, I think we should leave everyone now to go and spend a little bit of time alone. I want to thank you tremendously, uh, Francesca. You really, really are a wonderful guest. And I think uh, a lot of people will benefit from what you said today. Thank you, Mo. I feel so privileged to have spoken to you today. This has been a wonderful conversation. And uh, for all of you, I thank you very much for joining us today. I really think it's a good idea to plan and have the conversation and spend a bit of your time with yourself. Get comfortable with your thoughts. I think that's the key to start with. Meanwhile, before you put down your device, do rate this podcast a five stars. It's really helping. Uh, spread the message when you do that and share it on social media. Tell your friends about it. And uh, yeah, remember that uh, even though life is now busy as it used to be, there's always a little bit of time to slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.